Morning. Whew, that was good, wasn't it? Amen. Oh, my goodness. Taste of heaven is right. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. If you are visiting or new to the church, we are moving through the entire book uh, of Revelation. It's going to take us a while, but we'll get her done eventually. And we have a full chapter today, chapter 5. I'm pretty fired up about this. Um, this is a high point in the Bible, really the whole Bible, one of a handful of just high points of Revelation, uh, who God is, who Jesus is, uh, what's going on in heaven. Um, so we're going to read the whole of chapter 5, and this is kind of in the same vision that John uh, was shown starting last week in chapter 4. So let's read together Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 14. <clears throat> then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Would you pray with me? What a vision, O oh Lord. We can scarcely take it in. We ask, as the elders did, that we would fall down first and foremost 
in worship of who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do for the sake of your people. Who are we, Lord, that we would be counted priests in your temple, that we would be redeemed and bought back from slavery to sin, that we would get to stand before this throne one day holy and blameless without spot or blemish. Who are we? Humble us now in light of your glory, majesty, grace, and mercy, and may you profit all of us by this word, the word of God. Holy Spirit, come. Move among us. Make us ready for the day that our God will again dwell with us. And we will see Jesus face to face. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, in coming to Revelation 4 and 5, we, we really just need to pause. We're going to break it down. We're going to analyze it, explain it. But we, we just start with worship, with awe. Are you in awe of this? This is off the charts. Awesome. Maybe that's just me. But uh, we don't get a lot of this in the Bible where you say, you know what? I'd really like to know what's going on in heaven. Oh, no problem. Here you go. I'd really like to know what happened when Jesus ascended up into the clouds and the, the disciples saw him go and he disappeared. No problem. Here it is. Here you go. So this is a special gift of God's revelation to us. Um, and we start with worship. And we start also recognizing where 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5 are in the book of Revelation. That is very intentional. That's not an accident. Uh, you're going to need to keep this vision, 4 and 5, in mind starting in chapter 6 when the war breaks out between God and Satan, the world and the church. You have, listen to me, you have to keep this in your mind. You have, that's why you're given these visions before the middle of the book, before we get to heaven. You, you, you need to hear this. You need to keep it in your mind. When you start hearing about earthquakes and famines and thunder and lightning and bowls of wrath, beasts, dragons, you got to have this in your mind. That's why it's here. That's why it precedes what's coming. It's God's gift to us to know he's in charge. He is in absolute control. So remember, when you're tempted to get freaked out, scared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, seated on his throne. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He has power, wealth, dominion, strength, honor, glory. Remember, you have been made a kingdom. You are that. Satan cannot undo that. The world cannot undo that. He has made us. 
we are given a vision of heaven to change how we live on earth. God shows us a vision of him governing everything because us trying to run our own lives and the lives of others, it doesn't go very well, does it? Do, do you agree or do you disagree? Does it go well when we try to run things? No. That doesn't stop us from trying. We'll, we'll, we'll keep on trying, uh, uh, you know, in some sense our whole life to try to make God serve us instead of trusting him to be our own little kings and queens, you know, baby kings and queens, our own little kingdoms. Um, I see our kids do this in playtime. They act it out. We try to give them a lot of free play. Uh, but I would say like 70% of the time that our kids have uh, uh, playtime, the game that they choose involves some sort of hierarchy. Like we didn't tell them to do it, but all of a sudden there's this elaborate authority structure that has developed um, you know, someone's in charge. You, you could put it that way. It's not really, like, there's not a lot of socialism going on. Like, everybody gets an equal share or a lot of democracy. You know, everybody gets an equal vote. It's Game of Thrones, baby. It's intense. Somebody is queen. Somebody is the boss. Somebody is, you know, job of the hut, whatever. Somebody's in charge. Uh, and somebody else is on a leash, like uh, uh, the servant. And here's a couple of my observations watching this play out over the years. Now, I could be wrong, but these are my observations. Number one, those games never end well. They always end in abuse of power, you could put it that way. Someone starts making outrageous demands, like, you have to give me all your candy, you have to clean my room, you have to pull me around on a rug. And then the other, you know, the servants don't want to do it. I don't want to do that. That's not fair. And then there's a coup, you know, like they go to mom and dad, like, it's not fair. I should be queen. I should be king. Fix it. And eh, it just, it doesn't end well. You know that's starting to happen when you hear screaming, crying. That's your cue, abuse of power in the authority structure. Secondly, I can tell you I've never heard of a child ruler who rules by serving. I have never heard, no, I want to be in charge so I can lay down my life for you. Maybe you, maybe you have more holy kids and you have heard that. I just, I haven't. Um, you know, I've never heard, you have to be my servants because my greatest joy is to be selfless and serve you. So you better be my servants so I can serve you. More likely, it's like, no, do, you have to do what I say. Bow, lower. Like, we've literally heard bow, lower. <laughs> uh, you know, we have a good laugh. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but that's a pretty good illustration of humanity, of all of us. We're not even going to go to, you know, governments, uh, but... Pretty well sums it up. When you and I try to be in control, things do not go well. And when you encounter the reality that John is showing us, it puts our pursuits to be our own little kings and queens into perspective, doesn't it? It's ridiculous. It's suicidal. Why would we ever do that? And yet we do. In one sense, all your anger, all your anxiety, 
all your fear. The source of it is you trying to be God, but not being very good at that. The most loving thing I can say to you, and I'm preaching to myself, is you're not very good at being God. You want to be in control, but you lack the power. You want to be in control, but you lack the wisdom. You want to be in control, but you lack the moral purity. You're not qualified. And neither am I. It's insane. And that doesn't stop us from trying. Friends, this God is worthy of your trust. This God is worthy of your trust. He's not just your creator, chapter 4. He's your savior, chapter 5. His greatest joy was to die so that you could live. So that this scroll could be opened. History being governed for the sake of you, people of God. Jesus is making sure your enemies are defeated and destroyed. He's making sure your body, broken now, is perfected and glorified. He's making sure your home, that often you have to leave in this life, is permanent and perfect. He's making sure that your sins are forgiven, washed away forever, and that your joy would be endless. Why wouldn't you trust him? Is he more worthy of your trust to run your life than you are? A little bit. A little bit. That's why God gave us this book. I mean, the Bible, but also the book of Revelation. It's not to scare you. It's to comfort you. It's to let you know he knows what he's doing. You have a king, and he knows what he's doing. That's the big takeaway. So let's walk through the text together. Here we go. Verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. So on the throne, it seems this is God the Father. He's holding the scroll, perhaps open-handed, waiting for someone, the right person, to take it. Written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So what is the scroll? Here it is. It is the plan of God for the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. It is the plan of God for the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. It is the end time fulfillment of salvation for his people, judgment for his enemies. That's what the scroll represents. And it's sealed until the time of fulfillment. So right now it's sealed at this this moment, what we're seeing Until Messiah comes, Messiah finishes his work, his mission on earth, dies, is raised, ascends to the Father's right hand, and reigns until all his enemies are put under his feet. That's the time we're living in, the time of fulfillment. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. Now I'm thinking, 
Why couldn't the Father just open it? He's right there. Isn't he worthy? Why can't he handle this? And morally, yes, but if the plan is to redeem sinners, if the plan is to protect sinners, if the plan is to avenge the sinners, you need a mediator. You need someone to go between God and sinful man, holy God, sinful man. You need someone who can govern with the wisdom and power of God and be a sacrifice for all those he wants to save. How many of those kind of people are there? This is like the ultimate Ferris Bueller moment. God, man, anyone, anyone. And it's just silent. And this is a pretty comprehensive search. Above the earth, the earth, below the earth. And I began to weep loudly. John has a meltdown. I mean, the, the, the English translation doesn't really capture it. This is him wailing. He's ugly crying. Okay, he's very upset. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Remember, John's in a dreamlike state, um, seeing these visions. And he may not understand everything that he's seeing. But like in a dream, when you kind of intuitively know things, you're not sure why, you just know something's good or bad. He intuitively knows it would be really, really bad if this scroll did not get opened. He senses that. If you can't find someone worthy to execute God's plan to save the world and bring about justice and judgment on all those who oppose God, that would be really, really bad. See, it's not just what the scroll says, it's what it's going to do. It's not just an executive order, it's, it's who's going to carry that out. Who is worthy? And, and if you can't find anybody, folks, we're in trouble. Like, you don't get protection from death and the devil. You don't get uh, a future with God on the new earth. All things will not work together for your good unless we find someone who is worthy to open the scroll. It's a problem. John senses that. He knows that intuitively. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And really, maybe a better translation is just having been slain. This is Jesus' enthronement ceremony after his ascension. And we have to remember that Revelation is not strictly chronological. So the events that we're witnessing here with John happened, oh, probably 60 or so years. Uh, I'm sorry, 60 or so years before we get the vision. So Jesus dies, resurrected, ascends you know, roughly 33 A.D. This is probably 95-ish A.D. So God is taking us back 
actually in time a little bit to witness this. It's amazing. Jesus coming into heaven, and, and, and now we can get the ball rolling. Now we can start the new creation. History was waiting on Jesus. Eschatology was waiting on Jesus. Moving forward with the plan of God, the Spirit descending as Jesus ascends, now it's going to happen. We can get moving because the Lamb is here. And He has conquered. Notice the progression of Jesus conquering. Does He go from a lamb to a lion? No. He moves from a lion to a lamb. He moves from Old Testament promise to New Testament fulfillment. The root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, now to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So there's a progression, there's a movement, and it's really confusing, at least from a worldly perspective, you'd think it'd be the opposite. (laughs) Our goal is to be a lion, not to be a lamb sacrificed. But that's not the gospel. It is by allowing himself to be murdered by sinners for sinners that he defeated sin. It is by allowing the devil to kill him that he defeated the devil. It is by dying that he defeated death. And he's not dead anymore. He's alive. That's why he's standing, a lamb standing. It's a strange picture, but it has meaning. This is the conquering sacrificial lamb. How has God conquered for you on your behalf? Not through a lion, mainly, but a lamb. A sacrifice. In case you're wondering, the cross, the cross, the cross is the central event in all of human history. This is where the battle was won. This is where Jesus won. Not Armageddon, which is coming, chapter 16. Not the last battle. Folks, it's over. It's over. Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. It really is. I mean, the odds of what's going to happen at Armageddon, I don't, you know, like, don't bet on anybody but Jesus, okay? There is no chance Anything but complete victory has already been won and will just be, you know, ratified. All that battle will be is Satan's last act of pathetic defiance against God with an overmatched, uh, 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 never-has-a-chance army. It's already baked in. It's over at the cross. So... I would just say to you, when you think about the end, when you think about some of the things that seem scary in this book, don't waste one second being anxious about them. <laughs> don't concern yourself about, about it. Uh, like the outcome is sort of in doubt and, and what might happen. No, it, it's not a fair fight. It's over. And if you're on God's side, 
you're good. What characterizes the risen, exalted lamb? He is standing with seven horns. Horns are symbolic for power. Seven is the number of completion and fullness. So Jesus has complete power, is what that means. And with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is the Holy Spirit, singular, one spirit. As John 14 through 16 teaches us, he is sent by the Father and the Son to finish the mission on earth, to bring the power and the presence of God to us, building a kingdom, one living stone at a time. He's sent out. He brings Christ to us. And he, the Lamb, Jesus, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So pause. I could be wrong, but it doesn't strike me as a normal thing for someone to saunter up to the throne of God and grab something out of his hand. Is that typically what we see in the Bible? When you come into the presence of God, what usually happens is you're like, please kill me. I can't handle this. You fall down dead uh, on the ground. Jesus walks right up. Takes it. I was in New Orleans after uh, Hurricane Katrina. I went down to help with the cleanup. And I happened to be there when President Bush came to visit. Uh, he, he came to give a speech. And I remember just the entourage that descended on the city in the area that we were. I mean, it was helicopters and it was a fleet of Escalades with tinted windows not just a little tent, but a lot of tent. And just the guys with the, the earpieces and the sunglasses, I mean, they were like locusts. They just spread out all over the place. He had layers and layers of security. You could not get anywhere near him. If I tried, I'd get tased and, and carried away drooling. You know, like, if you were going to get close to the president, you better have earned your place. He better know you. You had to prove yourself and be trusted, worthy of coming near him. Otherwise, you don't have any shot. If that's true for our president, how much more for the Lord God Almighty? And yet Jesus walks right up, takes the scroll. Here's the big idea. Jesus is greater than you think. He is more worthy than you think. He and the Father are one. He has proven himself. He has earned the right to take the scroll, open it, and execute it. He's earned it. This is merit. It's not grace. It's not mercy. It's merit. He earned it. Because he did the work the Father gave him to do perfectly, completely, without sin, without a complaint in his heart, he earned it. And when everything on the scroll has been done, he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father, 1 Corinthians 15.24. 
when it's all finished at the end, when we're all at the marriage supper or wh- whatever we're doing, he, he, in a sense, he hands the kingdom back to the Father. He's happy to do it. He's happy to carry it out. But he wants to glorify the Father. And the Father wants to glorify him. It's just, this is beautiful. It's really good news. We found someone to open the scroll. And the most natural response is worship. And that's what happens. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I can't stay here long. We'll catch this again in chapter 8. But this moment is an answer to the prayers of God's people. You know how many saints in the Old Testament were praying for this? Messiah to come. The time to be fulfilled. The day of the Lord to begin. The new covenant. And that's sweet. That's sweet to the Lord. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What I notice about this language is that it's festive. This is festive language, singing, music, incense. This is a party thrown in response to what Jesus has done, in response to the gospel. And I think that's instructive for us in this way. Give yourself permission to be cheerful. Give yourself permission to be happy. Give yourself permission to be lighthearted. Yes? Some of you, I think, need to hear that. Uh, (laughs) Not looking at anyone in particular, okay? Just, you know, generally, I think some of us need to hear that. The beauty of the gospel is that it is a victory you had nothing to do with. So you can't mess it up. We had nothing to do with it. So we can't undo it. That is really good news. That is worth celebrating. (laughs) If you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the gospel, if you're new to church, okay, The gospel is good news that comes from outside of us. It's something that you had nothing to do with. It was done for you. Jesus did everything for you. And he just says, here, accept my gift. Please, I want you to accept it. I did it for you. He doesn't say, get your life in order. Start being a better person. Come on. He says, I did everything you needed to be with me forever, to be happy here. Please, I want you to take it. It would bring me no greater joy than to see you receive my gift and trust that I did it for you. That has the potential to make you so light, so de-stressed, so... mm, just 
happy in God no matter what. Uh, I always remember someone said of Jonathan Edwards, a great pastor and theologian, that his happiness always seemed to be out of the reach of his enemies. Didn't matter what anybody did, didn't matter what happened in his life. He lived in a time when, you know, most babies died. Like, a lot of people died all the time. And there was just a, a, a weightlessness about him because he knew Jesus. Even though those things are sad, you weep, you grieve, you can't steal my joy at the deepest level. And sometimes I think we just need permission from heaven to live like that. It's okay. It's good. That's what God wants. They're not making a mistake here. They're not like, oh, well, what's going to happen? I don't know. They're just singing. Harps, they're playing guitars. They're burning incense. The fact is, you can't sin your way out of God's love. You can't fail your way out of his care. I mean, we try, but you can't. It's a done deal. When you pick up a newspaper, everything that you read is exactly what is supposed to be happening. Do you believe that? By order of the king. Everything is exactly as it's supposed to be by order of the king. When life goes wrong, and sometimes it goes really wrong, you know the most important thing has gone right. When someone hurts you, you know Jesus never will. When someone does evil toward you, you know Jesus will destroy it and replace it with joy. When something changes in your life and you don't want it to change, you know that coming soon, you will reign with him permanently, perfectly, forever. Nothing will change for the worse. Friends, these are facts. We, we believe in a historical gospel. This happened. You can't undo it. Nothing can change it. So you can be rock solid in your life and in your joy no matter what happens. Is that amazing? Who else can say that? Do you think the world needs to hear that message? Do you think the world needs to be called into that glory and that sweetness? Oh, aren't you glad somebody told you about it? I would say even in an early South Dakota winter, that should put a smile on your face. You know, I needed it this week, to be honest. So let's follow the example of heaven. Let's be festive. Let's be joyful. Let's respond to the gospel with an a, a atmosphere of celebration on an atmosphere of doom, gloom. Because of the sovereignty and mercy of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, we'll finish up here. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. Now a myriad in that day was the highest known number, which was roughly 10,000. So they're just kind of, John's grasping for words to, to say this is kind of like infinite. This is, this is 
as many as you can imagine, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Listen to the confidence they have in Jesus. Infinite number of angelic beings, all the saints, every animal, bird, fish. They're saying with all their being, it is right that Jesus is in charge. That's what they're saying. I mean, he has all these things anyway, but they're saying, we want to give them to you. Honor and glory and blessing and wealth and power and might. Take it. We can't handle it, is what they're saying. But you can. Absolute 100% confidence in Jesus. And no confidence in themselves. That's what God wants for you and for me in the everyday, ordinary stresses and problems of life. Confidence in Jesus. I don't want the power. I don't want to be in control. Because every time I get like just a little bit of that, I mess it up. I don't, I'm not qualified. So you can say to yourself, it's going to be okay. And that's not self-help, happy talk. (laughs) It really is going to be okay. It already is exhaustively okay if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ today. And I can say that with absolute confidence because it wasn't just any man. It was the God-man who died in your place. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray to you in particular, we bow down in awe and worship of who you are and what you've done. Lord, no one else could do it. No one else is worthy, least of all us. And yet, we benefit from everything that you have done. We are overwhelmed at your heart of love for us. We are overwhelmed that right now, at the Father's right hand, you are ruling over this present evil age for our good and benefit. And we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear if we will cast our eyes upon Jesus. So may we look upward today, this week, And may that give us an anchor in the storms and difficulties of life that the Lamb has taken the scroll.
Everything that is happening is exactly what is supposed to happen in your wise, mysterious providence. We don't understand it. We don't see it like you see it. But we trust you. And we pray in your great and mighty and glorious name. Amen.